when I was probably in sixth grade, I was in a mm. Sunday school lesson and um, the teacher was teaching some Bible lesson. Mm-hmm. And um, I raised, at the end of the lesson, you know, I raised my hand to ask a question about it. And yeah. the Sunday school teacher looked at me super seriously and he was holding a Bible in his hand. And he said, um, you asking me that question is the same as me doing this. And he took the Bible and he chucked it like full force against the wall. And, um, and he did this in front of everybody else, you know, ma- made an example of me. Um, and I like really in that moment, like internalized, like, oh my gosh, like, here I go again, like making the adults around me super angry um, and um, like having cause to believe that my personality or, you know, the things I speak up about cause problems. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Lion, and I believe that our greatest downfalls provide us with the kind of jet fuel we need to transcend to our greatness. In this episode, I am joined by Sarah Jane, who digs deep and shares the journey of her mental breakdown, the life circumstances leading up to that most pivotal moment of her life and her healing journey. I am so honored to share space with Sarah Jane as she speaks from a place of deep emotional vulnerability that resonated down to my core. Come learn from Sarah and find solace in your own moment of darkness. I am super, super excited for today's episode with Sarah Jane, I'm not sure why I have this British accent, but you know what? I am feeling moved in this moment as we wait for Sarah Jane to join us. Today's topic is especially important to me because it has to do with our mental state, our psyche, and there she is. Hello! Hello, hey. Sarah. Jane, Hi, how's are, it going? Good. Are we really here? We're here. We're here. We are. <laughs> we are. Thank you so much for making the time to join. You're welcome. I'm looking so forward to this. I think it's all happening at the right time. Uh, and thank you so much to our audience for joining in the present and in the futures, uh, we hope that um, Sarah Jane's story today uh, moves you on a level that you didn't know before and, and inspires you uh, in ways previously unimaginable. Um, with that, Sarah Jane, would you be cool if I shared a quick introduction? Yes, of course. Fantastic. So, um, Sarah Jane grew up uh, out east in the state of New York. Uh, she's one of five children, uh, was labeled, in her own words, problem child, um, grew up <laughs> in an evangelical uh, family and grew up in an environment where 
the church was the focal point uh, of life. And um, she grew up in an environment uh, which did not have a lot of encouragement, softness, um, that did not promote the value of emotional vulnerability. Um, and these are things that we will explore as we get to know Sarah Jane deeper. Um, fast forward a number of years where Sarah Jane has a tragic incident that leads to a mental breakdown, which shatters her world um, as she knows it. And today's topic is very near and dear to my heart because it resonates with my own story to a certain extent and how Sarah Jane discovered deeper parts uh, of who she really is as she puts herself back together as part of her healing journey um, to come back stronger, more resilient, softer, and to serve as an inspiration to us all. Wow. <laughs> that all sounds fantastic and on point. <laughs> thank you. Thank hey, you. Thank you for an amazing introduction. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Sarah Jane. It's my Aww. pleasure. Um, so why don't we begin by sharing with the audience, what is the story of how you and I met? So we met um, at the Starry Plow. Um, we met at their open mic, which, by the way, is every Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Everybody that signs up gets to go. <laughs> Starry Plow in Berkeley. In Amazing Berkeley. joint. On Shattuck, yeah. And, um, you know, it's cool because just like you, um, I have met a number of people that have become uh, – um, very important to me in my life on a musical level, on a social level, um, on a community level at the plow. Um, mm. So you're part of a, a, a thing that never fails to introduce me to great folks. So yeah, we met at the open mic um, on a Tuesday, as you might expect. And I believe uh, that you um, were a performer that night that I first met you. Um, and as usual, I was hosting. Uh, so that's how we met. Hell yeah. Thank you for that. And yeah. here we are. Uh, I think it's been over a month, maybe six, seven weeks, um, that we're finally on this platform together, bringing yeah. your story to yes. life. So how? Yes. thank you for sticking through with it. Yes, and thank <sighs> you for putting up with all the craziness and busyness and uh new things that i'm currently going through um to to make the right date for this thank you of course it was all meant to be yeah so we i was able to share a bit of a snapshot about your childhood with yeah um with our audience um can we spend a little bit of time uh, exploring that in, in a bit more detail, yeah, um, your childhood, your parents, uh, to set the stage um, for what's about to come. Yeah, sure. What, what angle do you want to take? <laughs> sure. So um, let's, let's talk about, you know, sort of um, your sort of 
um, parents and the environment. Let's start there. Your parents and the environment that they um, created um, that sort of developed your psyche, your identity, sure. Um, sure. and some of the things that you felt you were lacking in that, you know, uh, you realize now in hindsight. Totally. So, um, like you said, um, I... I grew up in Albany, New York. Um, I'm the middle of five kids, uh, four girls and a boy. And it's funny because, um, you know, as I'm an adult and um, like not there anymore and living my own life, I'm realizing that having that many kids seems to be a rarity. Um, yeah. I feel like I don't come across that too much. Um, but so I was born... Um, to my parents in 1990, they both came um, from religious backgrounds. Um, so when they went to have their own children, that was the map that they had. Um, they also, um, like me, um, you know, sense like God, so to speak, mm -hmm. Christian God um, was so at the forefront, um, you know, yeah, that was the focus. So things that might be ideal in bringing up a child, um, namely, um, mm -hmm. like tenderness and compassion, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff wasn't around too much. And I, and I think for listeners or viewers um, that might have grown up in a more fundamentalist sort of setting, you might know that a lot of that is uh, fear-based, um, and control based. So as opposed to, you know, these are the rules because X, Y, Z, it's just, these are the rules. So you mm -hmm. don't get, you don't get many explanations. Um, you just get hard and fast. So with all of that, um, you know, and something that I want to be very careful about here is not bashing my parents. You know, mm -hmm. I've been I've been on my own journey of many waves of feeling, you know, righteous, of course righteous. It is righteous anger. Um, you know, righteous anger, uh resentment, um, you know, even in my early 20s like even having thoughts of like, you know, should I stay connected to my family? But um, in my mid-20s, I had this revelation um, that essentially, it's all generational trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, that if, you know, if my parents didn't consciously sit down and choose the way that they raised us, like, they were products of their own backgrounds. And they, conti they continued the cycle with me. Um, and when I realized that, you know, that lack of warmth wasn't, and wasn't really personal. Like it, it mm. kind of, um, it kind of shifted my thinking and it free and it freed me up. Um, so I don't know if that's too much of a tangent, but yeah, so that, that's a little bit about it. <laughs> that's a beautiful tangent. Um, and it's actually quite profound. So thank you for, for sharing that and, yeah. and honoring your parents. Um, you know, speaking from my own experience, um, you know, uh, uh, my parents in the way that they were raised passed on uh, generational trauma, which created uh, challenges 
uh, for me. And I think it's, it's quite astute and very wise of you um, to sort of call out that, you know, through those challenges, you want to be cognizant mm -hmm. to not be resentful um, because you, you're being empathetic and you realize, um, you know, how they're a product mm -hmm. of their own environment. Absolutely. As we, yeah, as we um, seek to delve a little bit deeper into that, um, one of the things when we were talking uh, before um, that you said that, you know, resonated very deeply with me was you mentioned that at a very young age, you had this belief that there was something wrong with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's very powerful. Yeah. Speak to us a little bit about, about that. that. Where did sure. that come from? How old were you? Yeah. You know, sure. How did it potentially connect to your father? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. So this a lot. So what I'm going to, this kind of stuff, um, it is for me, uh, really profound um, and pivotal stuff um, for me and like my own emotional development and also my break, a breakdown and whatnot. Um, so as one might expect um, in a fundamentalist sort of setting, um, conformity is expected. Um, I grew up in, so the evangelical Christian church um, maybe some people are familiar with it to some degree. Um, being out here in California now, as long as I've been, I find that I am definitely usually the only person in my social circles who was not allowed to celebrate Halloween as a child, mm. you know, like things like that. Um, so like, Yes, like conformity is expected. Uh, questioning is not really encouraged. One experience that I had, um, and this was slightly older. I was probably like 12, um, mm. although I started having these thoughts that I, that I was, quote, bad, mm. um, probably from the time I was in, like, preschool. Wow. Um, but... Um, when I was like 12, I was at a Sunday school lesson and, you know, I went to church every Sunday um, mm. from the time I was like born, conceived, because my mom was probably at church when she was pregnant for me, I'm going to guess, um, <laughs> from, from there until I was 18, because when I was 18, I was finally given the choice to stop attending church. Mm. That was how long I had to go. Um, but when I was probably in sixth grade, I was in a mm. Sunday school lesson and um, the teacher was teaching some Bible lesson. Mm -hmm. And um, I raised at the end of the lesson, you know, I raised my hand to ask a question about it. And yeah. the Sunday school teacher looked at me super seriously and he was holding a Bible in his hand. And he said, um, you asking me that question is the same as me doing this. And he took the Bible and he chucked it like full force against the wall and um and he did this in front of everybody else you know ma made an example of me um and I like really in that moment like internalized like oh my gosh like here I go again like making the adults around me super angry um and um like having cause to believe that 
my personality or, you know, the things I speak up about cause problems. Um, and so that's an example of that. Um, but, you know, from a young age, I've been, uh, you know, a singer, um, a talker, a big talker. Um, and I guess, you know, kind of marching to the beat of my own drum, so to say. Um, and like church, you know, the only thing I really liked about it, frankly, was the worship service. Um, mm. You know, there, there was something powerful about being with a huge group of people and um, singing. Mm -hmm. um, that was something I really liked. Um, but yeah, ever since I was, I don't know, a young kid, I I feel like I had like, you know, especially with being gay, like when I was like eight years old, my parents found mm -hmm. found my journal where I was like writing about how I thought a girl in my class was pretty and how I wished I could sit next to her and talk mm. to her. And my parents like took me and found it and like took me into the yard and told me like, you know, you will marry a guy one day. It's okay to be friends with girls. So like... I just things would come up throughout my childhood that had me thinking that I was on the wrong track yeah, or disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like, and then, you know, this, um, this is like, you know, what I'm about to say, I, I didn't really realize like how indicative this was of trauma until I was much older. Um, but when I was a super young kid, um, but like probably from talking age, so like three to five, um, when you're first starting to get conversational more so or whatever, um, I was constantly, constantly asking my parents if I was being good mm. and all the time. Am I being good? Am I being good? Am I being good? Am I being, and like, um, and I, and I grew up, you know, with my family, like kind of making a joke about it being like, Oh, that was funny. Like you always did that. And it took me a long time um, to like realize that I was doing that because I was, I was trying to get reassurance that like, I wasn't bad. And it, wow. and, it and it like shows like how much from a young age I had really internalized that yeah that's that I wasn't good and, and when I say good I, I don't even just mean well behaved you know yeah. I, I mean like a good person so wow. yeah I had doubts about that and feelings about that from yeah the time I was like like a older toddler wow mm -hmm. that is deep thank yeah. you so mm -hmm. much for your vulnerability yeah and 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 sharing that that's totally. uh, that's profound and it just goes to show how at how young of an age um we can be molded as a result of just what we observe in others or how others treat us absolutely and, and even before yeah oh i was Go just ahead. gonna say gosh, i'm a <laughs> I don't know how open I should be about this. Um, whatever. Fuck it. Um, th this is an adult podcast, right? Yeah. It is my time of the month, so I'm feeling emotional. Um, but <laughs> there you go. 
It's a beautiful if moment. If you didn't like that, too bad. Um, um, whatever. Um, but um, when I think about, you know, things like how we treat children, like uh, something that we haven't said quite yet. I'm a children's music teacher. I, um, I sing for children and their families. And um, when I see, like, oh, my God, when I see moments of um, parents being so compassionate and understanding with their young children my heart just like like it swells in like a joyous way um but it also like aches because I think about like all the children that don't get treated that way um like I see like I see parents like I feel in my opinion like an awesome parent is to a child and I guess I'm thinking of a young child because yeah. I I work with young children um an ideal parent would be like a guide to a child and in, in the world mm. like you're brand new like you know I'm going to help you navigate situations I'm going to ask you how you feel about things um I'm mm. I'm going to get you to familiarize yourself with what it's like to be someone with emotions and and let mm. you know that they're all valid and that I'm here for you to support you like like when I see that kind of stuff I'm just like so overcome um you know in both directions like I was mm. mentioning um so yeah, that was just a, a little side note of, about um, yeah, just like I don't have children, um, but but seeing but seeing that kind of stuff, um, there are little parts of me that feel like minutely envious um, mm. when I when I see that kind of stuff. But I also mm. am obviously so happy for those kids. So of course, and I mm -hmm. would argue that in a lot of ways, you are a parent to your children, your students. I, I feel that. And it takes I a village, that. and you are part of that village, raising them. So, I feel that. Yeah. Um, so thank you for, for that. Yeah. Um, so um, earlier uh, in the conversation, uh, you mentioned how, you know, you sort of grappled with your family um, on the topic of your sexuality and being gay and yes. how, you know, um, that was an especially pivotal moment for you as you came out to them and then left the church um, at the age of 18. Yeah. Um, could we spend a little bit of time trying to understand how once you left the church mm -hmm. um, and the whole value system around it and what was tied to your family as a result, because uh, the church is an extension of your family, yeah. how that impacted the relationships that you sought out and the new value system that you forged around totally. your relationships. Uh, this, is, this is a cool topic to think about. Um, so I came out when I was 17. I came out when I had only like two weeks left of being 17. Mm. So I um, came out right before my 18th birthday. Um, I was in my senior year of high school mm -hmm. and um, I was pretty scared. Um, I like didn't really have the guts to, 
just tell my family verbally. Um, mm -hmm. So I wrote them a letter and I like left it in their bedroom. And then I like a true lesbian went to my rugby match. Hello. <laughs> figure it out. Um, and, and um, <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, I like the, the summer. Um, so like, yeah, like I said, it came out in June uh, in New York. That's when the school year ends. Um, and so I had this whole summer before I went away to college because I went away to college like three hours away. Okay. And I had this whole summer of being out to my parents but mm. still living with them mm. and them being like disapproved does not even like begin to touch on it. Um, like I would say that this summer I had with them was like a, obviously the impetus for me not being a Christian anymore. Really? Um, oh yeah. Like if somebody is going to use like the religion you believe in as a like, and again, I was brainwashed, not going to lie. Um, I was definitely brainwashed as like a teenager. I, I went through maybe like two years of calling myself like a believer, you mm. know, like, you know, as a kid, it was more just like, this is what we do. We go to, we go to church on Sundays and, but but I did get into a point in, like, early high school where I, like, was like, hell yeah, Jesus, hell yeah. yeah. And I, like, and I was really into it. Um, but then when I came out and my parents used the Bible and God as, like, their whole basis for not being cool with it. And I was just like, okay, like, the only reason this isn't okay with you guys is because of Christianity. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, um, you know, I opted out of going to church, um, mm -hmm. when I turned 18, like I said, that was only like two weeks after I came out. So you can imagine how shitty those two Sundays were where I was out to my family and still had to go to church. I wow. basically, I basically just watched my mom like sob at church over me and just like, and like, and like pray that I would be healed. Like, it was the most, like, mind-fucking thing. Um, yeah. Like, to, to see your mother and your father, like, grieving over you, like you were dead or, like, you had wow. cancer. Um, and, you like, yeah, that whole summer was, um, was that, was just watching my parents grieve and... Um, and so when I, you know, I'm at, I, and again, to, to go back to the earlier theme, like I, at that point, you know, I did come out, but when I saw the, the turmoil that I seemed to be causing, yes, that's not correct. Of course, that's not what was happening, you know, but like at that time it was like, I'm the one doing this. Like, look, I'm, yeah. ba I'm bad again. Here, here's my, here's my bad self, you know, causing yeah. my, causing my parents to be so sad, um, you know, and um, so that summer, like for me, A, obviously nail in the coffin with being a Christian. And, and, and then 
it was like, well, when I go away to college, which was going to happen in like three months, mm. um, I went to SUNY Oswego. Um, it's a state school in upstate New York. Mm. Um, and I was like, I'm going to find, I'm going to find gay friends. Um, I, I had, I had a couple gay friends, but I, I really wanted to find more folks that I could relate to um, so that I could feel a sense of community. Yeah. And you know, I was so excited. I was so excited to get away. Um, and so, yeah, when I, once I went away to school, I was like, I want to be friends with people that are themselves. I want to be friends with people that are authentic. I want to mm. be friends with people um, that will talk about, experiences with me or talk about girls with me or mm. you know whatever um and so yeah that whole experience like you know something I said to my therapist once years ago like you know there's nothing like being rejected or being suppressed um to really foster a sense of like yearning for authenticity and yearning for freedom and exploration like 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 when you're when you're held back like that like you you just itch for liberation yeah um and so yeah like i mean you know i've i've i don't know i've always been me and authentically me but I feel like when I went through that battle of mm. like being told that who I was was wrong um yeah that was just an impetus to be like you know what I, I gotta be myself all the way I, ha I have to I have to fight for myself like it yeah. really made me develop this sense of self-advocacy and I and I know that you know different people might react differently to being rejected by their families yeah um, but but what but you know and my family and I have a great relationship now thank goodness um, and we've been through a lot to get there, um, yeah. but but yeah. So. <laughs> and and so like as as you have your newfound freedom and um, you're exploring um, you know different relationships you call yourself a serial monogamist. Yeah. How did you lose yourself oh, your no. identity in those relationships? Oh God, this is, this is bleak. And I bet, and I bet, um, and I bet a lot of people that are going to hear this and are hearing this will be able to relate in some capacity, right? Like, like, I mean, I'm in my early thirties. Um, I know so many of us have, you know, had the serial monogamy thing going on. Um, I, but this maybe perhaps you dear listener have not realized like, you know, exactly why you went that route. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but for me, you know, again, through therapy, um, yeah. I realized that I was doing that. I was going from person to person to person to person, um, and staying in relationships that were miserable, mm -hmm. um, that I was not fulfilled in, that I was not happy in, um, essentially, I was seeking uh, a person to be my parent. Mm. I, I was I was seeking a person um, to nurture me um, in the ways that I didn't receive, um, you know, due to my upbringing and due to the fact that, like you said, it 
it was much more about my upbringing was much more about authoritarianism and this is how we do things and if you break the rules blah, and like not much affection and warmth um mm -hmm. and compassion going on so yeah i once i you know i guess became an old an adult so to speak i mean from the age of like 17 um to 28 yeah i was desperately seeking somebody to fill those voids for me yeah um and I didn't know that that's what I was doing um, yeah. until I sought therapy when I was 28. Wow. And, Thank and, you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And touching on the latter part of yeah. um, your prompt um, about, like, uh, losing yourself. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is all that great, that great word, codependency, that a lot of us mm -hmm. probably have familiarity with. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah, like losing yourself um, just in pursuit of uh, affirmation and validation and, you know, putting your own, your own individual needs, your own individual happiness and all, all those things go on like the furthest back burner, the very furthest one. And, and as long as like the pot on the front burner of like somebody's telling me I'm worthwhile has like a centimeter of water in it, then you're like, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that's where I, that's where I was for a very long time. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just believing like, well, my parents like didn't, you know, didn't fill these, these voids in me of, you know, affirmation and validation. So I'm going to go seek that. And, mm -hmm. and I, and my natural route, I guess that I went was like, I'm going to seek this through romance. Like that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to get it. And again, like, you know, five, six girlfriends and ending the same way every time me foolishly believing that the next one would, would finally do it. Um, but yeah, not until I was 28 did I realize that, uh, you know, for me, at least, I don't want to say it's a universal rule. I don't want to tell everybody. For me, at least, I wasn't going to heal until I filled those voids. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's, you know, you, we've you've brought up therapy a few times and there was mm -hmm. a pivotal moment, a very probably the most powerful moment of your life, uh, a turning point. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, in however much detail you care to share, sure. uh, please paint a picture uh, of that day where your life changed um, forever. And we can Our, start. Yeah, the, the bad moment, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so um, okay, so the bad moment happened on St. Patrick's Day of 2017, mm. um, and I was at a... Um, I was at like an after hours party, like in some warehouse DIY club kind of thing in LA. Mm. And um, I was with my current girlfriend at the time, um, mm. which would be the last relationship that I've ever been in to this day. Um, mm. And um, was, you know, repeating that cycle that I was talking about with this person. Um, and we were at this party and someone, random person, as it often can be, offered us what he told us um, was some uppers 
And I was like, yeah, cool. And, um, you know, looking back and furthermore, lesson learned, I'm not, I'm done taking anything from people I don't know. Um, mm. let's not, let's not do that. Or at least me, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, um, I took it and, um, within minutes I was like vomiting like uncontrollably uh my vision was super skewed i i my legs were like giving out i couldn't walk straight mm. i needed like someone to hold me up and i was having just like this violent um horrible reaction and um from and this sounds like almost like it couldn't be real. Like, e you know, even when I think about it, mm -hmm. it sounds like something like from a movie. Like it, it doesn't yeah. sound like this could really happen. Um, but from that moment for over a year um, mm -hmm. after that moment, I experienced, uh, I guess, what I would call um, what my my boy Carl Jung calls mm -hmm. um, the, the dark night of the soul. Um, ba basically, my soul or my essence, whatever you want to call it, your essence, mm. your personality. Um, I became like a shell of a of a human mm. being. I I was just, and it's crazy. It lasted for over a year. Um, and like scientifically speaking, I'm not really sure what happened. Like, I don't know if like my part of my brain that produces uh, happiness chemicals was mm -hmm. like disabled or if it was like fried or if it shut down. Um, but yeah, I very social person, generally very optimistic. Um, I just lost all desire to eat. Uh, to talk to people. Um, mm. I like couldn't get out. Of, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just like, very, very and very suddenly, um, mm. severe, severely and dangerously uh, depressed. Um, and I, I, who I am was hijacked from me. It was, mm. it was just like, what sucked out of me. And yeah, and I remained that shell version of me um, for over a year after that happened. And I can't even begin um, to tell you how worried I was that it was never going to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I was really, like, petrified. And I was having, um, like, really intense suicidal ideations and, like, and, like actual, like like visions of ending my life. Um, I mean, at the time I was a preschool teacher and I, and I went from being like the like super jolly teacher leading her kids and singing with them and mm. in, a in a line and like being so fun and having all of that. And then suddenly like, all the little four-year-olds were so worried about me. Mm. They were just like, what happened to you, Miss Sarah Jane? You're so sad now. Mm. And it was, it was, yeah, I, you know, I, I say this 
every time I tell someone this um, story, I would not wish like what happened to me on anyone. Like I, I think that it's much too intense of a punishment for anything. Um, Nobody deserves to feel like they've died, but they're like still alive in like this 1% of a body way. Mm-hmm. so yeah that that's what happened um and yeah I, I wouldn't get out of feeling that way for yeah over a year and and every day I would just wake up and say like if this lasts another day I can't keep going I mm. yeah my light had totally been like extinguished for that amount of time yeah you mm. know when I had my uh mental breakdown it took me a few months to get my ass to therapy. And I was quite taken aback when we were chatting mm. that you waited so uh, long. A year, over a year. Yeah. Can you help us understand what was it um, about what you were experiencing despite? you know, people around you telling you that created that struggle, which kept you uh, from it, you know, because I think that would resonate with a lot of people. So what exactly are you asking? Yeah. So what was some of the resistance to what made you start therapy more than a year or a year after you experienced such a traumatic? That's a hard question. Um, And usually I, questions aren't hard for me. (laughs) Um, So I I guess, okay, so I wouldn't start to like, feel at least a little bit better. um, Mm -hmm. Until I would say something like, maybe a little bit over a year to a year and a half um, after that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I you know, I don't know, like, maybe it was like, this, I mean, like I said, um, okay, so apart from the whole evangelical thing, my dad, you know, and he still says this to this day, like, and I just, I kind of just think it's a human thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but he says that he witnessed this in a lot of his family members, like, it's an Irish thing. You don't you don't air your dirty laundry like like you 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 suffer inside and you don't talk about it and, and you just like fight your battles internally and you don't talk about the ugly stuff. Um, and like maybe that was part of it. Um, after you know hearing that for so long, um, the values are that. Yeah, and furthermore, um, I mean, I struggled a lot in my 20s with stability like not just Mm. in the relationship realm um but job security i have a i have a big authority complex i got fired a lot for speaking up um and things (laughs) like and things like that um i think i've always had this kind of like survivalist um Mm. like very kind of independent mentality when it comes mm. to like making it through struggles um yeah and yeah I, th- I think I probably had internalized some of the like 
well, we're not going to, we're not going to drag other people into this. You're, you're just going to mm. get, you're going to get through it. Like you, like you got through like living and working in a hostel for free. Like you're you just like mm. you got through that or like, you know, just like you got away from the crazy meth head who like stole your rent money. and didn't tell you like, like all I could just have a whole podcast about all the misadventures. And, and that mm -hmm. is something I've actually thought about doing. <laughs> like you know or or just like you got through the time being accused of being a prostitute in fresno and people calling the cops on you like you're gonna get you're just gonna get through it um so 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 i i think that that's um that was probably part of it like it's crazy to think that i like even though people around me were saying like yeah you should you need therapy like it's pretty clear that you're you're struggling, you're in a really bad place. Like, it is pretty crazy that I, I didn't really at any point say like, you know what, I'm gonna, like, I would hear those things from people and say like, you know, they're, they're right. Like, people that care about me wouldn't just say this. Like, mm -hmm. like, yeah, they're right. But, but yeah, I don't know. I think I just had some kind of subconscious um, resistance to the notion of seeking help like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. thank you thank you yeah That's, totally um i can tell you considering the stigma around you know seeking um uh mental health support um that it stopped me um mm -hmm. you know uh, a lot of times as well and and I, as as a society as we get as our um intelligence quotient and and as we get more um, emotionally intelligent. Totally. This is something we're overcoming. Totally. But I think conversations like this are an important point, part of um, sort of helping us uh, get over this mentality that, you know, um, there's something, um, you know, permanently wrong with you if you yes. decide to seek. Or that like you're, or that like you're, you know, you're weak or you're like officially nuts if you need help or something like that. Like, no. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, um, you started therapy mm -hmm. and. Yeah. Um, when I was 20, when I was 28, um, I started yeah. therapy very, very shortly after moving to the Bay area. Um, yeah, yeah I, mo I moved here in, uh, 2018 from Los Angeles yeah. after being in Los Angeles for a while. Um, yeah. And like, I, I got here, mo I moved here because of that relationship I was talking about. And, you know, just as it would be, um, we broke up within like a month of me moving here. I, di I didn't know anybody here. I, I moved here to be with her. Um, mm. And I was like, well, great. I, I don't have any kind of community. I, I, mm. I don't have a job yet. I have like pretty little money saved. Um, and, but right before moving out of her house, um, I remember the day I finally was like, you know, like after resisting, after like kind of quietly, subconsciously denying the fact within myself that I really needed help. Um, yeah, I remember the exact day, like, you know, not the date, but I can vividly remember. I mean, it was, I'm assuming it would have been in like the spring of 2018. Um, mm. I, my girlfriend and I had already broken up. 
Mm. Um, she, I was living with her. She was like, you got to get out of here. We were in a really bad place. I mean, as we had been for a while and, mm. you know, as you do at the end of a relationship, a lot of the time you try to work things out, you, you, but like, you know, if it's done, it's done kind of thing. Um, mm. And uh, I remember just like she was at work. I was in her bedroom. I was on her bed and I was at a point of, you know, still in this time of this horrid shell year I was talking about. Mm. Um, and I was in such a way that I wasn't eating. Mm. Um, I, I, in my life, I would go through periods of losing a ton of weight just because of not eating due to my emotional state. And I just remember being there on her bed and like being in like fetal position and like holding my head and like yelling and screaming because my head hurt so bad because I had like a serious migraine because I was starving. Mm. And like, and it's something about that moment, like I could eat, you know, like, but I didn't want to, like, I was just in such a way. Mm. And, and in that moment of like, pain like pain i was just like something clicked inside of my brain and i was like i need help it's official i am at a point where i like cannot not have help i need help um mm -hmm. and uh yeah and in that exact moment like tears and a mess just like going on google and like desperately seeking like any you know sliding scale therapist in the east bay that i could possibly find and like making a list of them and calling them and and in that exact moment and like telling person after person who answered the phone like very briefly what was happening to me and um and then i think finally like maybe after making like five or six calls Mm -hmm. um, I found something I could afford and um, uh, it was in Oakland and I was like, okay, like this is it. And I started attending um, therapy with someone in um, that therapy group that I found and, mm -hmm. um, and really quick, I just have to say, you know, I, I have a number of friends that attend therapy mm -hmm. um, and when I hear how much they pay, I'm just like, like thank the universe or whatever that at that time where I needed help so desperately um, mm. that I was able to find a sliding scale option um, mm. because I was not in a position to pay $120 a session wow. or, or more or I, the rates I hear my friends pay even almost 200. It's just like, I found a therapist, um, who would see me for $20 a session. Mm. And that was, that was massive for me um, at that time. And uh, so, yeah, I started going to therapy in um, the spring of 2018. Wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Now, when we were talking, you know, as pivotal and, and monumental as therapy 
uh, has been in your life. Yes. You actually credit acupuncture with saving your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So help us understand how did acupuncture come up for you and mm -hmm. what was revealed as a result of acupuncture that changed your, uh, like, in your healing journey? Yeah. So in a massive way. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So let, so at this point I'm about to describe, I had been in therapy for a year. Mm -hmm. So, so this was uh, spring, like winter, spring 2019. And my therapist and I had, you know, as you might imagine, worked through a lot of childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, talked about a lot of strategies that the the big thing from therapy that I want to credit that I learned was this concept of reparenting. Um, mm. And that was the big takeaway that I got from talk therapy. And um, essentially what that is, kind of what I alluded to earlier, is um, you yourself becoming the parent you never had. No, mm. like no longer looking for other people to do that for you which was why I was in that very long series of um, codependent relationships. Um, but yeah, reparenting was what I learned from therapy. So I, so I developed this one really cool thing, and I promise I'm going to get to what you were saying. I just think this will help. No worries. I, I, no I, just, worries. I just think this will help encompass everything. Um, so so I, I learned this um, really cool technique um, I still use it. I've been I've been using it now for four years. Um, mm -hmm. I have a picture um, of myself when I was eight, um, and it's in my bathroom, like on my mirror. And um, every day, I talk to her and um, tell her the things that she really needed to hear as a child. And so, and so, you know, not only do you parent your inner child, but you also parent your present self. So it's, mm. it's, it's really a way to like be on, learn to be on your own team. And, um, being on my own team was something that I, I never was, um, until I was like 28. So, but at that point, maybe a year into therapy, my ther my therapist said, um, you know, this is, I can tell that talking to me is really helping you. Um, but I also see that you're still really struggling emotionally and mentally. Um, and at this point that I'm talking about my, my like long-term consistent depression, um, mm. had graduated, into um manic depression mm -hmm. so so i went i went from having like a solid year of just basically thinking about wanting to end my life every day mm -hmm. um yeah to um alternating between that and feeling like sailor fucking moon you know, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And I, like, just like, I can, I can do anything. I'm so power. And I was just on this super unpredictable teeter totter of going between those two things, um, at this point. And my therapist said like, you know, I don't know who you're going to be when you come to see me. 
Mm. Um, you, you've been seeing me for a year and that's how it is. Um, and, you know, she like kind of didn't say this like totally um, like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, whatever. She didn't exactly say this, but she like hinted at it. Um, she basically hinted at the fact that she thought I should see a psychiatrist and, Mm. um, and go on medication. And, you know, I said this to you when we initially talked, um, this is not at all, you know, to shame or put down anyone that, that goes the route of pharmaceuticals to, um, address, uh, mental and emotional issues, um, Frankly, I know, and you do too, um, how horrific being in emotional hell can be. So by mm. all by all means, whatever it is that gets you out, thank goodness. Um, mm. You know, but something at, at that time for me and something inside of me, um, when she said that to me, A, my first thought when I walked out of that therapy session, because basically what she said was, you need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And like, like, just talking to me is not gonna, like, get you out of this state of anguish Mm -hmm. that you're seem to be really stuck in. Um, Mm -hmm. um, You need to do something else. And I remember walking out of that appointment, just feeling like, okay, I'm a failure. I finally, Mm. I finally went to therapy. I finally did the thing that I desperately needed to do. And I'm still not better, you know, better. Mm. I'm still not, I'm still not fixed. Um, And this person that I have developed a relationship with and who, who now knows me very well is telling me in honesty that she thinks I need to go on um, a prescription medicine. And, and then the next thing I said to myself was, well, I don't know why I'm having this feeling, but my gut is telling me that I do not want to do that. That I, of course I need to do something else, but I want to go a different route. And, um, at this time, um, and again, you know, everything happens for a reason. I, I got really into, um, like, kind of uh, astrology, and um, I got into uh, reading about um, psychology, mm-hmm. and um, I got into, like, mystic psychology, like, stuff like Carl Jung, mm-hmm. and um, I was reading this book, um, uh, gosh, uh, relating. Um, it's, it's like, um, and I, I have it. I don't think I see it right here. Uh, I know the, the, the author's last name is green G R E E N E. Um, it's called relating. And, um, it's like a book about relationships and astrology and stuff like that. And so I was reading it and I, and she mentioned acupuncture in it. Mm. And I like looked up from the book. And again, this was like right after I had been told all that by my therapist. And I like looked up from the book and I was like, I've heard of that. I don't Mm. really know anything about it. All I know is it involves needles and it, yeah, that's pretty much all I know. And so I like, but something in me was like, and thank goodness, something in me was like, 
I kind of want to like look up and see if acupuncture um, has any effectiveness with emotional issues and things like anxiety and depression. And so I like put down the book and I went online and I just searched like, I don't know, does acupuncture help with um, emotional issues or does acupuncture mm -hmm. help alleviate depression? Um, and I saw results that said it does mm. or, or, or that it can. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, like this, this is something that I can go do. Like, like, you know, this is maybe the other thing I can go do that my therapist had been saying, like, you need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I'm live in Berkeley. Um, at the time I did also, and I, looked up like local acupuncture and I found the Berkeley acupuncture project. Um, mm. at, at the moment now they had to move their location, but now they're in Albany. Um, yeah. But at the time they were in downtown Berkeley and I made an appointment online and I went in and again, I was very much still in this manic depression place. Yeah. And I went on a day that I was, in the depression. And when I say depression, I mean like the, like, you know, I've, I've met people that have had underlying depression that they can like still kind of live day to day, whatever. Like this was like, you know, like the crippling kind that like impedes, mm. your, impedes your ability to like function very well. Um, and I remember going in there and they must've been like, Whoa, Nelly. Cause I just like, I just like broke down and was just like, basically told them exactly where I was and what I was dealing with. And the acupuncturist, you know, after talking to me or after me telling them what I needed was basically like, okay, from, from what we hear, um, your nervous system is like dialed up to like level 1 million. Mm. Um, and we're going to start acupuncture treatments to dial it like way down. Mm. Um, so like, it seems like they were telling me that like my nervous system um, was like operating at a super high, vigilant, super active level. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when they said that to me, I was just like, wow, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And likely it had been like that for my whole life, like, you know, growing up in an environment where I was, uh, you know, fearful of being punished, um, you know, fearful of being told I was bad, like constantly like bracing for the next time that I would be a disappointment. Um, you know, so when they said that to me, I was like, whoa, like, I think they really might have just hit like a pretty central point there. Mm. Um, and that had never even occurred to me. Um, and so what they told me was, um, based on the situation that we're hearing from you, we're going to begin like quote intensive therapy, which means for mm. like, like three weeks, you're going to come twice a week. Mm. Um, and, and we're going to see what that does. Um, and I had never been, um, to acupuncture before. And, um, after only, let's see, it was three sessions. After mm. only three sessions, I remember I, I had never experienced this before. Um, what I'm going to tell you, like, 
I walked out of the clinic and I remember looking across the street and the only thing that I was thinking about was what I was seeing. Mm. In, es in essence, it was the first time in my life that I experienced presence. Mm. I had never felt the sensation of like the only thing on your mind being what your senses are in that moment taking in. Like of mm. like of of there being no, you know, preoccupation and mental static and noise and worry and concern like brewing through your brain. Like it made me realize that um that in my life I had become very, very, very accustomed to living that way. Mm -hmm. Um and I hadn't even realized that I had adapted to having a brain that operated like that. Um, and I proceeded after that, after I saw, oh my God, I've only had three sessions and I had this moment, like this is doing something. Mm. Um, I went to acupuncture for a year, um, uh, once a week. And I, I can't even, I became a different person. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, I had never been in the moment. Like I had always been you know fearful or like lamenting the past or like mm -hmm. anxious about where my next source of love and validation would come from or lamenting the fact that I couldn't do that for myself and just so wrapped up in anguish all the time and anxiety and worry and I just cannot believe what it did for me and mm -hmm. whenever I hear anybody you know talk talk about problems with anxiety or depression I'm just like a poster child and I'm like please try acupuncture I mm -hmm. I, I, I know it maybe especially in the western world like we might just dis dismiss it as like a woo-woo like weird thing and I've definitely had people make fun of it mm. Um, I've, I've, I've had people like, oh yeah, like Sarah, you know, oh, Sarah Jane will just say, go get some acupuncture and you're all fixed. Ha ha ha. Like kind of thing. And I'm like, look, you can say what you want, but like, it saved my soul. It saved my brain. It saved my brain. Like at the forefront, it saved my brain. My, my brain was like absolutely on fire beyond description. I, I felt like I was not in control of it whatsoever i was at the mercy of my mind mm. and to go and to go from that to 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 presence i swear like it's i would have that i think that in my in my life i've learned like self-love and presence those are the most invaluable priceless things i i would pick having those over any any material thing ever yeah <laughs> wow i'm actually right i'm taking notes self-love yeah. and presence the most valuable over any material thing yes you know um this was so powerful and you know one thing that that you know as you were sharing um that i feel moved to share with our audiences mm -hmm. when we talk about um getting out of your comfort zone there's this perception that your comfort zone is comfortable yeah. And that is not for, always the yeah, case. Yeah, it's often just familiar. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
And oftentimes, true comfort awaits us when we make the decision or we're forced to seek the comfort. In your case, your brain being like it was in a vice grip or or you feeling rejected from you know, um, your therapist and feeling like, wow, am I a lost cause? Because even therapy can't help me. Right. Like throughout throughout your whole life being told like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're bad, you're bad. At least my experience. And it's like, great. Now even the therapist is telling, like, it was just like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Yeah. And Uh we don't have to wait till that point. We have the power to choose to decide to explore on our own and then Mm -hmm. discover, right? Mm -hmm. So I cannot thank you enough, Sarah Jane. You are a very powerful person, um, you know, uh, considering all that you've experienced and what a true inspiration you are um, to all of us. And and thank you for being so outspoken. Um, You know, I... That's not something to thank me for. That is a natural thing, whether you thank me or not. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> but you are so very welcome, of course. <laughs> and on that note, you know, um, I want to thank our audience uh, for their presence um, here and now Um Uh, May today's um, episode uh, move you and and help you discover parts of yourself previously unknown. Yes. And And one other thing that I would really like to say, um, kind of to wrap it up for me, like, you know, at that time when I was at my worst, I I was saying to myself over and over again, I, you know, I desperately... Like, I want to be who I once was. And I was hoping for that every day. Like, please let me go back to the way I wanted to be. But, or excuse me, to the way I was. Please let me go back to the way I was. But let me say that, like, I didn't want to, I, little did I know that going back to the way I was was certainly not in my best interest. Um, Mm. Little did I know that beyond all of that struggle, I would become the version of me that was like, that was the most optimal version of me. Mm -hmm. So like, I didn't, it wasn't about going back to the way I was. It was about becoming the best me I had ever been. So like everybody, everybody out there, like, you know, whatever you're going through, like when you come out the other side, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be stronger. It's not, it's, you know, it's not about returning to how you were prior to the, prior to the issues and prior to the pain. Like when you're through all of that, like you're better equipped, you're stronger, like your, your best self waits on the other side of that. Yeah. Because we're all on this journey to grow into our full potential. Absolutely. And as we do that, we leave the past, our past selves uh, behind. Thank you so much for for making it a point to yeah to to share that because I totally. think it's so important. And you know, uh, you've inspired me to bring up uh, one other thing from yeah. our conversation. 
the the story of your shirt, right? Um, oh, the, the shirt. The yeah. shirt that I was talking about. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, I you know um, when you were our, wishing you were dead. Yeah. So so part of me wonders. I'm like, oh, like I know it's in my dresser. Because um, <laughs> because I'm like, eh, I want to I want to hold it up. But it, <laughs> but, okay. but, it, but at the same time, I, I have a number of tan shirts, and I'm just like, ah, which one? Um, so um, but it, it's. It's a shirt that um, that has like flowers around these words, and I again verbatim. I'm not sure exactly what it says, but it says. I some, remember. It's something like. It won't always be this bad. Right, right, right. A hundred percent. And um, I remember, see, you know, being like on the other side of this journey, and and having, you know, went through a lot of healing. And like mm. seeing that shirt, I was just like, I have to have that shirt because if I had seen that when I was at my worst, that would have been like, like the biggest beacon of like, like encouragement because I like, re- I like really thought that I was like damned to like, just be in this, like, like you said, like this vice grip. I really didn't know if I was ever going to get out and, um, and I saw that and I was just like, if I could be that for someone else that's like going through a, a really hard time, like that would be wonderful. And so, yeah, I got, I got the shirt and um, yeah, it just goes to show that like, you never know the thing, the things you do, the things you say, the me- the messages that you um, broadcast could really, really alter um, someone's life and someone's mentality. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, on that note, we shall say goodbye and love and light to our audience. Yes. And to you, Sarah Jane. Same to you. And, and thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And thank you so much for having me. So, so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Get Out of Your Comfort Zone series. I hope it moved you and inspired you if you are feeling stuck with something in your life. If you would like to further connect with our guest, please see their contact in the description. Please consider taking a moment to rate this podcast. Please Also consider showing us some love on your Instagram story. You can find our info in the episode description. Until the next episode, I wish you infinite love and light. Thank you so much for tuning in.